We're in Mark chapter 4 tonight. We're going to start in verse 21. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, open them up this evening. And uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into the Word here. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful tonight for the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. What a just sweet time of worship. Absolutely, 100% know that you are with us all the time where two or more are gathered in your name. And yet there are times where it's just so rich and so sweet and so good. And you blessed us with that, Father. And so we just want to thank you. Pray your hand would be on these technical issues in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I'm sticking with this mic, right? Right? Am I, or am I going back to the other one? Okay, because if I'm sticking with this one, just keep it at one volume level, and uh, we will just go all the way through. In fact, let's just hang with this one, all right? We're good. Uh, I had talked to you guys at length about parables last week because, you know, this section of Scripture in chapter 4, Jesus starts uh, with the parables. And, um, you know, it's obviously not as lengthy in the number of parables as other gospel accounts because it's a shorter gospel account. And, in fact, not only that, but uh, some of the parables are a little more concise. But that's expected because that really was, you know, Mark's approach to his gospel account. Not really um, looking to give a large volume of information, but, you know, more brief and uh, action-packed. We discussed that at length. I want to remind you of a couple of things tonight as we jump into uh, this evening's portion of scripture concerning parables. Now, um, you're going to see tonight, and I'm just going to give you a heads up, we're going to be handling some parables tonight. They're connected to the uh, last parable that we read last week, and we know that that's the case because Jesus said of the parable that we studied last week that it was the key of all parables. So to understand all the parables, you need to understand last week's parable. If you weren't here last week, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you weren't here last week, then um, I just want to encourage you to check out the message online and um, you can just get a little refresher there. But parables sometimes seem to be very confusing and I often discover that they're just ripe for misinterpretation uh, and misunderstanding. So let me just remind you of what a parable is. It is an earthly example that illustrates a heavenly principle. So like, let's just keep it simple. Uh, a parable is an earthly example that illustrates a heavenly principle. So when you're reading the parables, there is the, the goal of the parable is always to illustrate one single heavenly principle. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't other things that you learn in the parables, but once you start off-roading in your interpretation of the parables, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, it was a teaching tool that Jesus used, he employed, um, he deployed when he was trying to lead people to an understanding of heavenly things. Uh, and remember, um, he's just using terminology, terms, stories, things that people would have been familiar with. I, I think we read the parables today, uh, and there might be even a little bit uh, of a greater disconnect for us because, you know, a lot of them are agricultural-based. I mean, it was an agricultural society. And so, for instance, last week, you know, we're talking about the parable of the sower and sowing the seed and how seed grows and how it doesn't grow sometimes. And you got birds and you've got weeds and you got shallow soil. And for us, I mean, like we live in Las Vegas, 
if there's any place in the country that that might be a difficult illustration to understand, it's our city. But, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a farmer to, to get the point of what he is saying. Uh, and then, of course, obviously it was really handy that he explained it um, or he interpreted it for his disciples. So, as we go through the parables, just remember you're looking to understand, not make up for yourself, but you're looking to understand what the single heavenly principle Jesus is seeking to illustrate. Uh, and then remember, please, that Jesus is the clue to understanding all the parables. Uh, ultimately, the parables, they always come back to him. And I would just say this. I'm a Carl Barth fan. You know, he is a theologian of the 20th century, uh, and one thing that he really always strongly emphasized uh, was that everything in Scripture should be interpreted through the person of Jesus Christ. For him, it always came back to Jesus. And when you're reading the parables, remember that. Remember that even the parables always should come back to the Lord. Um, clearly, the parables were not designed to be arguments to convince people um, you know, like sometimes we see in the gospel accounts, there is an argument that's presented in a particular way. They're really not that. They're signposts. They're signposts that lead the way to that biblical principle. Uh, and then as we launch into these parables tonight, I just want to I want to make sure we understand the framework or the context. Remember, when you're interpreting scripture, context is everything. And so uh, we can't disconnect these parables from what we learned last week. Uh, we're still in the mindset, we're in the framework of the parable of the sower. Uh, so what we're essentially talking about with these parables is the kingdom of God. We're talking about Jesus, who is the sower, sowing the seed of the word of God into the hearts of men and women to bring his kingdom in their hearts here on this earth, right? That's what we're talking about. And so you have to remember that as we jump into these particular parables. So let's do that tonight as I uh, try to do this with, uh, you know, two hands here. So the Bible says in verse 21, also he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. And then he closes that parable off with uh, what he closed the previous one off with. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So, I mean, obviously this makes a lot of sense. You don't bring, you know, you don't bring a lamp, you don't bring a flashlight, you don't bring a light into a dark room and then put a basket over it. That would be absolutely stupid because the purpose is, the purpose is to light up the darkness so you can see those things that are hidden, right? I mean, you would much rather have your light, you wake up at night, you know, you, you're hungry and you want a donut. <laughs> and, and I'm just thinking because, because there's a lot of donuts. Or you want an ice cream sandwich, Right? And this is not the stage for, you're not going to be thinking about the Bible tonight. You're going to be like, man, I want an ice cream sandwich, and, and I, want, I want one that big. <laughs> but, you know, you wake up, and it's, it's totally dark. It's pitch black. What do you do? Well, you're smart. You turn the light on, right? I mean, you're not going to walk around in the darkness, because if you do, you're going to stub your toe, and that's obviously miserable. You turn the light on so you can see it exposes everything in the room. 
And Jesus is simply saying the same thing. Now, um, it would be easy for us to say, well, you know, he's talking about us being a light and how we're a light in the culture. And, you know, um, because we walk as light, Ephesians chapter 5, by nature, the, the natural consequence of us bearing light is that we expose the darkness in the society around us. And that's true. Like, that is true. I say, yes, absolutely. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, remember, the kingdom of God coming to earth. And so what he's saying in context is that the mystery of God's redemptive plan has been revealed through the coming of the Son of God. You know, this mystery, the mystery of redemption, how God was going to bring the salvation uh, of his kingdom to the hearts of men and women, how he would bring forgiveness, how he would mend what was broken, how he would turn things around, turn the curse around and cause human beings to be image bearers once again. What was lost in the garden was going to be restored through the coming of the Messiah, the chosen one, the one selected by the Father. And so remember, it had been a period of great darkness. In fact, Isaiah 9-2 says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then just a couple of verses later, it's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a son is born, right? Unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born, and we shall call him. And then we have the names of Jesus. And so there's the picture the picture was this great darkness, and yet as Christ came into the world, uh, it was the coming of the kingdom of God, and it was the light of God, and expo it, ex it did expose. It exposed and revealed everything else that was not in alignment with God at the time. Jesus said this in John three seventeen, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You know, sometimes... You're talking to somebody and you've, you've just given this beautiful explanation of the gospel. And in your mind, you're thinking, man, there's no way they're going to say no to this. Like, that was amazing. I mean, I even have to say for myself, like, that was extraordinary. I'm not saying that I say that. You say that sometimes maybe when you're sharing to somebody. And then, you know, they end up saying no. They end up turning away from the gospel. And you think, man, how can you say no to Jesus? How can you say no to the gift of forgiveness and salvation and deliverance and hope and life. And you know, he gives, the, he gives the reason here because the light exposes the reality of our sin and our darkness. And you know, there, there are, and, and I know this was the case for me before I put my faith in Christ. And I'm sure it was the case, I know some of you, I know it was the case for some of you before you did, but man, there couldn't have been a better explanation for the gospel given to me in college. I mean, I, I had a roommate that was living it out before my eyes, but the truth is this, I wanted to sin. I wanted to stay in my sin. And so I said no, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. People will resist and reject the gospel because they want to continue in a lifestyle 
of sin. I want to encourage you tonight. You know, maybe you've been, you've been putting off the decision to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And the truth is this, you are exchanging the beauty and the glory of Christ for some miserable morsel this world has to offer you that is not only not worth it, but it has become a chain and a prison in your life. And he is present tonight. We were just singing this and we, we sing it in faith, right? He is present tonight to break those chains. So simple parable here uh, through the incarnation and the perfect life of Christ, the light of the kingdom of God was being revealed. Verse 24, then he said to them, this is a connected parable, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So the second uh, parable here, and really it's a parable of, of measures, uh, but what Jesus is saying to, his, uh, to the disciples and to the multitudes is this, man, it is a privilege to be able to be exposed to the word of God, to be able to hear what it is that God has to say. And when we when we do hear, we have a responsibility to receive the truth that God is scattering like seed to our heart, right? This is, this is a, a very strong exhortation to those who are listening to pay attention to what it was that Jesus was saying. In fact, you know, and to you who hear, right? We're, we're not talking about just being present uh, in a way where it's like you're hearing words spoken, but you don't understand what's being said, we're not just talking about being present and understanding the words, but not receiving them by faith or being obedient. Jesus is saying, when the words are spoken, not only do you need to endeavor to understand what is being said, but you need to receive it by faith and apply it to your lives. And, and then not only does that responsibility rest upon the person that is hearing the word, but then he also says, because the deal is this, all right, those are my, those are my own terms. The deal is this, if you want to receive more, you have to be responsible with what you've already been given, right? If you want to receive more, you have to be responsible with what you've already been given. Some of us tonight, we might be like, man, God hasn't spoken to me for like five months, or five weeks or five days, you know, and you're just struggling because everyone else is like, man, God dropped this bomb on me. It was so awesome. It was just amazing. And this has totally changed my life and I love it. And you're like envious. You're jealous. You're like, why hasn't God spoken to me? I'm saying sometimes, you know, we, we're the problem. God is saying, yeah, I'll give you another bomb. I'll drop another bomb on you after you apply the first bomb that I just gave you last week. Like, focus on that. Say yes to that. Receive that by faith. Before you're looking down the road to the next revelation, this is what I think he's saying, be faithful with the present revelation that he has given to you. And we can find ourselves, right? Yeah, that's good. I don't know. I don't know what he's been speaking to you. I don't know what he's been revealing to you. I don't, I don't know what encouragement. You know, sometimes we just default to, you know, conviction, and, and that is absolutely true. God convicts us of our sin, and we should repent. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes God's just simply trying to bless us. And, you know, there's some deal going on in our heart, and we've just become resistant to the very blessings of God. 
Maybe we don't feel like we're worthy. You know, maybe, maybe we're afraid to, for some reason, to receive that special word of encouragement. Whatever, all I'm saying tonight is this. Whatever it is that he has spoken to you, receive it with everything that you have. And then as you do that, he'll give you the next thing. And then as you consistently do that, listen, he is, he's found a soul, right? This is what God is looking for. He's looking for a soul that says, yes, God, I, I received that. I'm walking in obedience. I love it. What, what else do you have for me? I mean, the Father's going to feed that heart. The Father's going to feed that heart. All right. Yes. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself first the blade, then the head after that the full grain in the head. After that, excuse me, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now listen, I, I do just want to remind you as we uh, journey through these parables that of course, you know, he knows that he is speaking these parables to those who are going to be leading and directing the church. And so um, he is laying out for them some groundwork to understand how the kingdom of God is going to work out over time, right? I mean, his disciples, after three years of ministry and teaching, his disciples shouldn't have been clueless or confused about how things were going to roll out because, you know, he laid out in, in pretty clear terms what things were going to look like. And in this particular parable, what he's saying is that the, the growth of the kingdom of God is going to be a process. The growth of the kingdom of God is going to be a process. The kingdom of God is like a sower that's scattering the seed, and as the seed takes root, it, it just goes through the whole process, right? You can picture it in your mind. It takes root, it germinates, it begins to sprout, it grows. Uh, the, you know, the farmer, especially back then, did not know the, you know, the technical aspects of the, the DNA of the seeds that he was planting. Like, he didn't understand all of the biology and biochemistry that was behind cellular growth. And he didn't need to know because there were laws that God established. What he did know was, if he was a faithful farmer, scattered the seed, the soil was prepared... He continued to water. He made sure that the weeds were dealt with over the course of time because it worked according to the laws of God. That seed that would have otherwise, you know, if it, if it look, I mean, it's just crazy. You have a packet of seeds. And uh, back in the day, we did some gardening ourselves, right? And so you go to the store, you go to whatever, Home Depot, um, Moon Valley, whatever it's called, and you buy a pack pack of seeds, and you can have that pack of seeds for like decades, right? I mean, it can sit literally in your garage for decades, and it's just a seed. But the second that you plant it in the soil, there's, there's something that happens. There's a transforming work that occurs. That little tiny nothing seed um, over the course of time as it germinates turns into this beautiful fruit that you're able to partake of. And Jesus is saying, man, the farmer doesn't understand how that works. All he knows is 
uh, seed planted, germinated, sprout grows. Um, there, you, you see the, the fruit of the wheat and then you put in the sickle and you make the harvest. And the kingdom of God is the same way. You know, the gospel was preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth over, over a series of decades to the, the extent that at one point in time, there were those in the secular world saying, these apostles have turned the world upside down. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened over the course of time. I'm going to make a personal application that's a couple steps removed from this parable. But I just want to say to you, when you're doing the work of God, understand it's a process. When you're doing the work of God, understand it's a process. When you're taking steps of faith and you're using your spiritual gifts and maybe you're starting something, you're birthing some ministry, oftentimes we're like, you know, I mean, we're full of faith and we're really excited and, and we think, man, this ministry is just going to explode overnight and overnight passes. And then you think, well, maybe it's going to happen in a week and, and a week passes and then a year passes. You know, this is what church planting is like, especially now in our country, and especially depending on where you plant. Like if you plant in New England, you know you are in for the long haul. It's going to take a long time. But God is always faithful to the laws that he has established. And so I'm saying to you tonight, don't grow weary in doing good. Sometimes, you know, we're so excited for the harvest that we want to bypass the germinating of the seed and the, sprout, the sprouting of the plant and the process of the fruit growing, but there's no way to bypass it. What we have to do is we have to choose to trust in the Lord. Um, he goes on to say in verse 30, then he said, to what shall we then liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed when it's sown on the ground. Uh, uh, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. I'm just gonna go into a rap right now because that's, that's what's happening. No, no, I'll call Brandon up for that. But, but when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches. Like right now, you, sh you should be thinking, man, that's not really what a, a mustard shrub looks like so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So this final parable that we're talking about tonight, he is still talking about the kingdom of God. We understand that. I will tell you this is one of the most controversial parables to interpret um, of all of the parables. And there are two basic views on the interpretation of this parable. Um, one is that Jesus is talking about small beginnings that turn into extraordinary growth. The second is that Jesus is talking about extraordinary growth that becomes abnormal and abnormal in a way where it becomes dysfunctional or even toxic. And I'll explain why some people believe that in just a second. Um, I think, look, I, I personally think that the simplest interpretation of this parable is probably the best. And so you take a, a mustard seed, if you go to Home Depot and if they have seeds, you know, wherever that aisle is at, and you get some mustard seeds, or if you go to your pantry, right? I mean, some of you use mustard seeds for cooking. They're tiny. I mean, they're tiny. They're almost imperceptible. They're, they're the smallest of all the seeds. 
and you plant this little thing, and it's like, man, what, what in the world could come from this? It's just so small. But then what does come from it is a beautiful shrub, right? And then when, it, when there's fruit, you're able to collect the fruit, and you're able to either use it in cooking or make mustard or whatever the case may be. And so it's probable that Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God started with such small beginnings, We're talking about the Savior with 12 disciples, 500 known disciples at his ascension. I mean, almost, right, so small, it could have been potentially seen as meaningless. I don't think that the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin thought that Christianity was going to be some big deal down the road. I think that they probably thought, man, there's just a few of these guys. We'll kill the leader. I mean, in their mind, we'll cut the head of the snake And then this thing will just go away. But it didn't go away. And the growth was absolutely extraordinary. Some historians say that in 200 years, there were about 75 million Christians. This is a big deal back then, right? And within 200 years, 75 million Christians, uh, no internet, no radio, no podcasting, no technology, uh, no telephone, no airplane, no train, boats that went really small, and miserable Roman roads. And yet, in two centuries, 15% of the Roman Empire put their trust and faith in Christ, called themselves Christians. That, by the way, Like if you just approach that from a linear perspective, not exponential, that's about 500,000 people putting their faith in Christ every single year. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing. And you know, not to like get off topic here, but, but it was particularly appealing to the person who was a slave, the marginalized person, the person who had no value, right? The one who didn't seem to be or wasn't considered equal or of equal value to anyone else. And when the gospel was, was being preached, there was this message that everyone has equal value in the eyes of God. I mean, this was socially, socially like a, a completely different message than what people were used to, right? The elites get blessed, the rest of us suffer. And when Jesus came, he said, no, the kingdom of God is for any soul who would believe. And so I think probably that's what we're talking about. Others say, well, no, actually um, that the growth, Jesus is like indicating there's, there's a real problem here because, you know, a mustard shrub doesn't grow to the extent where it's that big with branches. And then not only that, but there's birds that are lodging themselves in the branches. So they would say the growth is abnormal and it's unhealthy. And these people believe in something called expositional constancy, And so if there's something that is defined in a particular way in the Bible, that definition is used throughout the Bible. Uh, So they would say, well, back in the parable of the soils or the sower, Jesus defined birds as Satan. And so they would say, you can't depart from that explanation or definition of birds. And so we're, we're kind of bound by what Jesus said to interpret these birds in a negative way. And so these people say, yeah, well, the church did grow, but in the fourth century, uh, Christianity was made the state religion by Constantine, and that's when the church began to be polluted with all sorts of uh, false ideologies, false theologies, and false practices. Um, 
and I understand why they get there. I just think that um, they take some unnecessary steps. So I'll leave it to you tonight. Verse 33, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Aren't you glad? I mean, what that look like? You know, here he is, he's giving parables and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, Lord. That was, you know, could you see him just like, like affirming, like they knew everything and then they get alone with Jesus and they're like, we have no clue. We have no idea. We have no idea what you said. Can you throw us a bone, Lord? You know, help us out a little bit. And, and you know, he lovingly rolls his eyes and says, oh man, you guys, the remedial crew, right? The remedial crew. We, I think we can look at the disciples and think, man, he, you know, he just picked the cream of the crop. He picked, he, he picked the, the most... Uh, influential. We look at what they did and we think, man, they were always these just stellar stars in the kingdom of God. And you know what? These boys had rough beginnings, rough beginnings. They were clueless. Man, maybe you feel bad for how clueless you are concerning the word of God. I just want to say you're in good company because the disciples were too, but they leaned in. They leaned in. You know, I'm just so thankful that we don't have to act like you know, we're great Bible scholars and we have the answers to everything and we understand these, these deep, deep things of God. And you know, people, like you can tell right off the bat when somebody's presenting themselves as just this amazing, better than everybody else student of the word of God. And you know, it's unfortunate sometimes because I think the fruit of that is they make themselves look good while putting other people down. And that is never the heart of God. So... So anyway, if you're having a hard time understanding, I said this last week, <clears throat> whatever it is, bring it to God in prayer, study the scriptures, and, con and continue pursuing him in the word. We're going to jump into a story here. So on the same day, verse 35, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose... And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Let me just, before I read further, let me just slow down for a second and reread verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. That is really, really important, okay? So they take off. There's other boats with them, and they're heading in a direction. They get hit by a storm, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was <clears throat> in the stern, asleep on a pillow, catching some Zs. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, check this criticism or accusation out, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, check this out, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? <clears throat> Some of you are reading this and you're thinking, man, that, that's kind of unfair. That's kind of unfair. Like the dudes were just afraid they were going to die. Like, of course they were fearful. Faith in what? What was it that he was expecting them to believe him for? And the Bible says in verse 41, 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So listen, there are four things as we read this story. There are four things that I want you to consider tonight. And I'm just going to tell you what they are on the front side, all right? Number one is his calling. Number two is their confusion. Number three is his command. And number four is his correction. So as you read this story, I want you to consider these four things. Number one, his calling. Number two, their confusion. Number three, his command. And number four, his correction. Now, this is not the only time the disciples are going to learn a lesson on the sea, right? I mean, it seemed to me that when Jesus had something to teach, when Jesus had something about faith that he wanted to teach his disciples, they always were out on the water. This particular story begins in a very interesting way because he says to his disciples, hey, we're going to cross to the other side. They're in the Area of Capernaum, that's on, if you go to Israel with us in March 2023, make sure you sign up for that, okay? Um, that's the west side of the Sea of Galilee, most significant city uh, in the whole Galilee region. He says to them, we're going to the other side, right? So 13 miles, Sea of Galilee, 13 miles from north to south, eight miles from, from west to east. He is talking about a particular place, right? We're not... We're not talking about some just arbitrary trip, little sailing adventure out on the Sea of Galilee. There was a specific place that he wanted to go. And I'm just going to call that the calling tonight, all right? Because that's what a calling is. A calling is a specific God-given directive or direction that has purpose, so sometimes we have those in the moment, like we're, we're praying, we're seeking the face of God. He has impressed something so strongly upon our hearts. We know that that step is something that he's called us to. If we choose not to take the step, we're in disobedience because he's given us a very clear step to take. And that step comes with purpose, right? God does not call us to take steps Without purpose, there's always meaning, there's always reason, there's always something that God is desiring to do. So sometimes that's situational. Sometimes it's your life, right? I mean, there's, a, there's the calling of God on my life to be a pastor and to be a teacher. And so my whole lifestyle is a response of faith and obedience to God who has called me in a particular direction and has given purpose in that, right? And that purpose is progressively revealed. He doesn't reveal it all at once. Oftentimes it just comes one single step at a time. But you know it, right? It's a settled matter. For the disciples, it was so settled that the coordinates were plugged in. I'm not saying that they used their iPhone for this. They didn't have a Navi computer on the boat, but the coordinates were plugged in and the ship was headed in a direction. And not only was that ship headed in a direction, but there were a whole bunch of other ships that were headed in the direction as well. And in their mind, as they started, they're like, this is good right? This is a good thing. We're being obedient. We're going in the direction that he wants us to. We don't necessarily know what the purpose is. I want to tell you tonight, oftentimes there will be a calling of God upon your life for maybe a particular thing, and he's not going to give you the full purpose. He's not going to tell you all about the destination that you're going to get to. 
He's going to leave that blank. He's going to leave it intentionally blank. Because why does he do that? You guys answered this for me tonight. Why does he do that? Because his faith, right? Because his faith. He wants, he wants us to trust him. And I know that can be like really frustrating because, because you want to take the step of faith, but you want to take the step of faith knowing what's coming, right? Because it makes us feel better. Like the risk is mitigated if we know what is going to happen. And that's the very reason he doesn't give it to us because we'll trust in the outcome instead of trusting in the Lord. So, so he doesn't always give us the purpose. Now, if you read ahead, what you'll discover, and, and Pastor Brand's gonna talk about this next Thursday night, is that there was a man, right? I, this always, like, this chokes me up because he's so good. There was a man on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that was filled with a legion of demons. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what the purpose was. He knew exactly why they were going to the other side. And the disciples didn't have the benefit of having chapter five to read from the gospel according to Mark. So they just didn't understand. You know, God will give us a calling and oftentimes he will guide us in a way where that calling does not come with the full explanation. So they're on their merry way. They think everything is great. And then all of a sudden confusion hits because of an unexpected event. Right? They're like, okay, hey, we're with the Lord. That's always a good thing. He knows what he's doing. We're headed in a direction. And then, like, literally, there is a storm that is so turbulent, uh, they, they are fearing for their lives. Now, a lot of them are seasoned sailors, right? These guys know the Sea of Galilee. They have a family fishing business. They've grown up on the sea. If you go to Israel with us, you'll learn that um, as you're on the Sea of Galilee and you're looking west, there's Mount Arbel, and then there's this chasm um, that, that drops down. It's a valley uh, that, that drops down and then goes up to what many believe is the Mount of Olives. Um, but the wind blows through that valley right past Mount Arbel, and it's, sometimes it's really hot and it blows really hard across the face of the Sea of Galilee. And it can become so turbulent on that sea in a second that, that literally boats capsize. People lose their lives. And they were fully familiar with the danger of being out in the middle of the sea when something like that happens. And the disciples collectively, when it happened, because the boat was filling with water, which is never a good thing, um, you know, if you're out in the middle of the sea, they're overwhelmed with fear. They're overwhelmed with fear. And they're so overwhelmed with fear that calling that was given to them was totally obscured. It was overshadowed. You know, the, the statement, the very simple statement of, let's go to the other side, because you know with the command comes the fulfillment, right? With the command comes the fulfillment. If Jesus says we're going to the other side, guess what's going to happen? Like you're going to get to the other side. It's not, even a, it's not even a question because when he speaks, he speaks as if it's a decree. But because they were so overwhelmed with fear, they totally lost sight of that. They lost sight of the statement that Jesus made. They lost sight of everything that was connected to the statement and his capacity to fulfill it. And listen, there was a huge perception shift concerning his character in their mind. Why? Because here they are about to die, and what is he doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. 
It seems as if he's unconcerned, not just about the storm, but about their very life. And so they levy this, and you guys got to get this, they levy an accusation against him. And I know sometimes we read it from our own perspective, and of course we're compassionate and tender about what they're going through because we felt that way too. But understand, they are accusing him of not caring about them. Don't you care about us? Don't you see that we're dying? And why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing something? Your lack of involvement, your lack of engagement, your lack of deliverance in this moment, they're like, this is a false accusation, feels to us like you, in fact, don't care. How many of you guys have been there? Right? Oh, see, look how you are. <laughs> you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I raise my hand. And then I'm like this. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There right now, Pastor, Amen. <laughs> Thanks for that authenticity tonight. And it's okay, like sometimes I have to do that so you feel like there's permission to be honest, right? And, and you can be honest. There are times, there are just times in our lives where, you know, we're walking in the calling of God and we're, you know, we're experiencing all of these strong blessings of God in our life and then all of a sudden the unexpected occurs. And, and if we're not careful, that fear, it's like a little snowball, right? That fear begins to grow. It, it starts like a little seed. It's the antithesis in the sense of like you have the kingdom of God, like a little seed and grows. Like that is good. It's the antithesis in the sense of fear does the same thing, but it's bad. It is bad. It's toxic. It can consume us. It can overwhelm us. It can blind us to the point where we even begin to question the calling of God and the character of God. And this is why the Bible is so consistent about encouraging the people of God not to fear. Fear will always fight against the lifestyle of faith that God desires you to live out. They are mutually incompatible, right? You can't walk. This is what I'm saying. It's like oil and water. You can't walk in, in fear and faith simultaneously. You say, well, my fear is not a choice. And I say to you, listen, I know sometimes it feels like that. I know sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it's so overwhelming. And if you concede to it and you feed it, right, and you contribute to, to fear's toxicity, sometimes it, it, pretty soon, you know, it's just a way of life. It's a new normal for you. And, and, and now you are in a place where it's got, it's got its claws in you. You're in a prison. But all of that began with choices, you have to trace all the way, you have to trace that all the way back to decisions that were made about the way that you were thinking, the tape, see I'm an old guy, the tape, some of you are older, the eight track tape, all right? <laughs> some of you are older. Uh, you know, playing in your mind, right? The things that you meditate on, the, the, the words that you speak to yourself, all of these things are reinforcing something. And if you're that person that is speaking fear over and over and over again, pretty soon you're going to find yourself so consumed, it's, it's a chain in your life. The Bible, some people have said, says, fear not, or some form of that phrase, 365 times. And so, you know, I mean, I've researched that a lot. It seems to be true. Um, and I think it does kind of coincide with the number of days in the year for us. Every day, God is saying to you, as a child of God, do not fear. Do not fear. I think that we can have all kinds of ideas about what, 
we think God should be doing, right? So let's just like, we've got the issue of fear. We can see what fear does. Fear can blind us to the character of God to the point where we start accusing him of things that aren't in alignment with what the Bible says about him. Let me just back up for a second. If you're thinking things about God that aren't biblically true, you have to choose to reject those thoughts and cling to what the Bible says, right? You have a thought. It crosses your mind. It's like, you know, God's out to get you. That's like a typical standard fiery dart from the wicked one. And you've got to go back to Jeremiah 29. You know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. I'm rejecting that lie about God, and I'm clinging to that which is true. And you and I, if, if we're going to be worshipers, we have to do that because the Bible says that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God if you're believing false things about him. You, you get the point. So, so listen, as we think about that, I want you to also remember that uh, it's easy for us, like the disciples, to interrupt Jesus' nice little slumber, his nap right there, and, and to tell him what he should be doing. Um, and the reality was they should have been focused on what they should have be, been doing. They should have been walking by faith. He should have been resting. And if they would have focused on their job, he would have faithfully done his job. They would have gotten to the other side. All I'm saying tonight to you is this. Sometimes when you're afraid, you can be so focused on what you think God should do, you're not even doing what you should do. And so step back and be faithful to what God has called you to. Remember, God cares. He does care. They, they could have talked themselves off the ledge, right? Boats filling with water. Jesus is in the boat. We're in good shape because the Messiah is in the boat. Even if it's full of water, it's really not a problem because he's Messiah. And they could have talked themselves off the ledge. You know, David did this in Psalm 42, 5. He went through this process where he was struggling with hope. And so he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. Like David didn't hide the reality of his emotions, but he brought them under the subjective, the, he brought them subject to the word of God. I'm going to step back. I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to talk myself off the ledge and I'm going to choose to do what is right. I'm going to anchor myself to the character of God. So the third thing here, and I'm wrapping up, the third thing is this. It's command, Jesus intervenes. He stands up, everyone loves this part of the story. He stands up, he rebukes uh, the wind and the wave. He calms the storm. The word rebuke that's used is the same word uh, that's used when he exercises demons. I'm just gonna say to you guys, I don't have time for this, but it's possible, like as they're making their way to that side of the shore, remember there are thousands of demons that have owned this individual and this whole territory. And as they see Jesus coming, it's possible that that storm was like stirred up by the devil himself, right? It's possible the storm was stirred up by the devil himself. And so when he rebukes, it's not just asserting authority over creation, it's asserting authority over principalities and powers as well. And I just want to remind you today that he has authority over both of those things, right? So what does he do? He um, calms 
the wind and the wave. Uh, some people, they love this story because this is what they get out of it. This story is not about Jesus calming the storm. That's not what this is about. This story is about the failure of faith in the lives of the disciples. And the reality is this, he didn't need to take the storm away. Like, like they would have gotten to the other side even if the storm persisted. And so I want to remind you of something as well tonight. Sometimes we are so obsessed on him taking the storm away. We have lost sight of the fact that he is going to get us through even if the storm doesn't go away, right? Even if the storm doesn't go away. I've said this to you guys. Sometimes he'll take us under the storm. Sometimes he'll take us around the storm. Sometimes he'll lift the storm from us. And sometimes he will take us through. He'll take us through the storm. And if you are so obsessed about him taking something away that he is not going to take away, you will miss the blessings that he has for you in the storm like the three Hebrew boys. So the final thing here, thanks for your patience, is, is correction, right? Uh, he, he corrects them. He admonishes them. Of course, he does so in love uh, because the real issue wasn't uh, his failure because he didn't fail. It wasn't the miracle, even though that was great and it caused them to fear, like, wait a minute, we shouldn't be fearing this stupid storm. We should be fearing the Lord. You know, Sam started worship by saying those words. You know, we, we ought to fear the Lord. When there's a healthy fear of the Lord in our life, everything else gets put into perspective. But the real issue was their faith. It was the absence of their faith. Why was there such little faith? Why were they so overwhelmed with fear? And so tonight, let's just wrap this time up by asking the simple questions. You know, you can ask it for yourself. I'll ask it for myself. What are we freaking out about? There's your deeply theological, uh, sophisticated way of bringing application to the Word of God tonight, okay? What are you freaking out about? Like, what are you freaking out about? Remember who's in the boat. Remember who's in your life. Remember who's given the calling. Remember what his character and his, and his nature is. Remember what your destiny is. No matter what happens in this life, you are, you are destined for heaven, Remember the one who will ever, never leave you nor forsake you, the one who will always come through for you, the one who is always faithful. Have you lost sight of a calling? Have you lost sight of a calling? Are you so consumed with this particular thing in your life? Man, you know, there was a calling on your life and it was absolutely loud and clear and now you've got money issues. And, and, and now it's like, well, you're, you're jettisoning the calling on your life because you got to handle the finances. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the way this works. Like you trust in the Lord, seek the Lord. Seek first his kingdom, it's coming, it's coming. Uh. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Look, if you divert from the path and start to pursue something because of fear, you are going to miss something that God has for you. Stand on his character, church. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. And uh, just cause we want to be the hearer. God, we want to be the hearer. We want, you've spoken something to us tonight. And so now, now it's our responsibility to receive it, God, to, to acknowledge that your spirit has given us understanding. It's clear. And now, God, we need to embrace it and walk in obedience. 
And we pray tonight that you would help us to have the strength to do that. Tonight, maybe just as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I just really want to focus on this as a, a point of um, application tonight. Maybe you're struggling with fear. Like, let's just be honest. There's no human being that doesn't struggle with fear. And maybe tonight it's you. And maybe you've been overwhelmed and, and maybe you're stepping away from a clear directive that God has given. And, and um, you know, it's, maybe it's snowballed so much in your life that, that you can't even see his character anymore. And maybe there are accusations that have just risen from your heart to the Lord. You're questioning his love and his providence and his tender mercies, his faithfulness. You know, he, just like with the disciples, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you in the midst of the struggle. But you know what? He calls you out of it. He calls you to a better place, a place of faith, a place that's filled with hope, a place where there's joy in your life, where the devil is doesn't have the, the ability to, to steal away the blessings that God is intending for you. And so this evening, you need to make a choice. We need to make a choice. And, you know, if there is that thing in your life, you just, you know, you need to have a point in time where it's, you're dedicating yourself to walk in faith. You're looking to God to break the chain. Maybe a big chain that you've had for a long time. You want to trust his character and move in the calling that he's given to you. I'm just going to invite you tonight just to stand up. I want to pray for you this evening. I'm not trying to draw attention to you. I just want to give you an opportunity this evening to be free from the shackles that the devil has placed on your life and to walk in what you know to be true about Jesus Christ. So tonight, if this is you, just stand up right now. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you. And don't be afraid or ashamed or God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Just stay standing tonight. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. God bless you. He is present. We believe that with all of our hearts. God bless you guys. Anybody else? Father, thank you, God, tonight for your presence and just how your word does speak so clearly to us. And, and we pray, Father, for these precious, beautiful souls that you have rescued and delivered God, we pray that there would be yet another deliverance. God, another expression of your great grace. God, a, a breaking of chains tonight. Maybe it is the, the chain of fear we ask in Jesus' name that, that that chain would just be torn asunder. God, that that prison, would be, prison door would be opened. God, that those shackles would be shattered. And tonight there would be because of faith. God, because these hearts are saying, 
Jesus, I trust you. I trust your character. I trust your love for me. I know you love me because I look to the cross and every day I see your willingness to sacrifice yourself for me. Tonight, we pray, God, that these hearts would just be lifted up in great strength and hope. And Father, for the calling that you've set before them, we pray for the strength to take one single step at a time and to believe, God, that as they're faithful over the course of time, you will bring much fruit. Oh God, we give you praise tonight and just acknowledge that you are the one and the only one that we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.